Today I'm speaking with Victoria Morse. Victoria is a mom and a lifelong lover of horses who owns and operates Hearthstone Stables in St. Andrews, Manitoba, Canada. Victoria is also legally blind and she doesn't believe in labels defining her. Since she was a child, she has defied odds and persisted in finding her path forward. Today, she's gonna to be sharing with us about her journey being blind, being bullied, and how she slowly learned to trust herself as well as others. You're listening to The Inspired Way, stories of everyday heroines, real life inspiration. I'm your host, transformational coach and connection catalyst, CJ Rivard. Join me weekly to hear real life inspiration and tips for tackling your life's challenges. Each week you'll hear from a relatable woman who shares about her struggles and the tools she used to work through them. By being women of courageous action, vision, and ongoing evolution, each of us can create a ripple of positive impact. And together, we'll create a wave of change. Join us. Well, welcome back, everyone. We were back for another exciting episode, and I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend Victoria Morse today. Victoria, welcome. Hi. <laughs> welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And it's funny, I just have to say that I feel like Victoria and I are friends, but we've never actually met. Tell us where you're calling in from, where you live, Victoria. I live in a small community north of Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, called St. Andrews. Manitoba. All right. And tell us a little bit about the weather right now, your experience. <laughs> well, it started snowing on Wednesday just before noon, and it's now Friday, and it stopped a couple hours ago, and I think we got about a foot and a half of snow. So it's a little challenging outside right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So our listeners heard a little bit about you in the intro. Is there anything else you'd like to mention before we get started on your story we're going to talk through today? I'd like to tell us about you? Well, I think the biggest thing that people always want to know is, is about my horses. I own a small equestrian facility, like I said, just north of Winnipeg. And we have, there are 16 horses living here. We teach riding lessons, do pony rides, do rescue work and try and find jobs for horses that are no longer able to do the jobs that their owners have for them. So wow. You're busy. That's my big, that's my passion right there. Yes. Yeah. Giving horses a safe place to land. Wow. That's a lot of horses. It's it an amazing place. It's fun. Yep. Well, I know you have come a really long way, and I think I mentioned in the intro that Victoria has a disability and is legally blind, correct? Yes. So why don't you take us back to what your childhood was like and what that meant for you growing up with this disability? Well, again, the initial thing was nobody knew what was wrong with me. They just knew there was something wrong. My mother would take me outside and into the sunshine and I would start to scream and cry and couldn't breathe. It was very scary for her from what she's told me. And at first they thought I was maybe mentally challenged, but then they, they at some point somehow figured out when I was about 13 months old that it was my eyesight that was the problem. And, uh, and I've worn glasses ever since then. 
a very thick Coke bottle bottom glasses that used to leave black skid marks down the sides of my nose because they were so heavy. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, we used to try strapping them onto my head to hold them on. And it was, yeah, it was challenging. And it didn't really make a lot of difference when I started school. They always wanted to me to sit in the front row and it didn't make any difference because I still couldn't see the blackboard. And the kids were not overly accepting of me. I generally had maybe one good friend and I changed schools a lot. I think I went to something like 14 different schools, 12 years that I was in school. And one of those schools I went to for three years. So some schools, some years it was three different schools. Wow. So yeah, I was heavily bullied. Um, for the most part, there was some good teachers, but a lot of them, I was a burden. I made their lives more difficult. Their jobs were harder and it didn't really matter what they did. It didn't make any difference. And I don't think back in the you know early 70s, teachers had the resources that they have now. Yeah. So it was, uh, I wasn't wanted and it was very obvious to me. I knew that as a child and, you know, the teachers didn't want me. The kids didn't really like me and, and I got picked on pretty hardcore. Wow. And you were, I think you said you were mainstreamed. There wasn't, it wasn't like you could go to a special school or anything. You were right in there in the mix with everybody with no accommodation. I was in a special class briefly for part of grade one and part of grade two, or maybe all of grade two. And then I got, I don't know why, I think we moved and that's, that wasn't an option anymore. So then I ended up being mainstreamed. Yeah. And they would, they tried with the large print textbooks, which were, I had a dictionary that was literally that thick and this like tall. So when I turned the pages, the pages were this big. Wow. And, uh, and that was, and any, any kind of large print textbooks, they had math, math textbooks and stuff until I finally just said, no, I'm not doing this because the kids would pick on me because of my books. And I finally would just said, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. It's just making my life worse. So if I had the large print books, they picked on me. And if I had the books that I would have to read like this, they would pick on me. Yeah. <laughs> so it really was kind of one of the, and you have to go to school, right? Yeah. Back then, homeschooling wasn't an option. So I had no choice. I was every day getting up and going someplace where I knew my life was not going to be great. Yeah. So. So, I mean, I know there can be a lot of repercussions for, I mean, it's just our personalities and so many of our beliefs about ourselves are formed at those early ages. What would you say? Well, first of all, um, how did you make it through school? Did you? And, you know, what kind of, what did you take with you from those experiences? How did that impact you? Um, I did make it through school. I graduated, um, which nobody thought I would do. My family was told when I was very small not to ever expect anything from me. I would never amount to anything. It would take me two years to do every three years of school, and I would probably never graduate. Wow. Um, that's what the medical profession was telling my family. And yeah, and I was aware of it at the time. When I hit high school, I was a rebel. I was just not the greatest person to want to, that you want to be around. I was rude, obnoxious. I was rude to teachers and figures, authority figures. Mm -hmm. I ended up in, th I think, three different high schools. And I finally ended up in a somehow 
got into, it wasn't a remedial room, but it was a room where you did correspondence courses and you worked at your own speed. I landed there in May because I dropped out of school and I wasn't going back. And then I went back and ended up with this particular teacher who saved my life. I did my high school in under two years. I got all my credits and I graduated. And the amount of stuff that that poor guy put up with for me, but he was, uh, yeah, he was a wonderful man. And uh, Funny, sometimes just one person can make all the difference. Yeah, I remember when I graduated, I bought him, my family bought him, we bought him a 40 ounce or a rye and a music box. (laughs) We were giving him presents just because we were so, so grateful. Yeah. But as far as my social aspects, I mean, the kids that I was in class with, we were all on our, they were all on their last chance. Uh-huh. I, mean, I had to fight to stay in that room and everybody else was trying to fight to stay, to get, to get out of it. And I just wanted to stay there. But I had one good friend who was, man, she was, she was tough. And uh, anybody even looked at me sideways and she was picking fights with them. So I was safe, not highly recommended, but yeah. again, she got me through. I would imagine that was a lot of your rebel persona as well to like keep all of the bullies away. Yeah, I just I was very quiet and soft. I didn't I didn't like I didn't go looking for trouble, but trouble generally found me. Oh. And my friend Holly was the one. She was the, the barrier between me and the stuff that I couldn't deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she was <laughs> she was something that girl. <laughs> So what happened after high school? You went to college, right? You kept going? Yeah. Uh, I figured I was done. I was just so happy to be out. And then I proceeded to try and find work. And that being a person with a disability was not an easy thing to do. Um, mm. I had worked for my grandparents who owned a riding stable throughout my team, like during the summer. Well, I lived with my grandparents for most of my growing up years. And so the only thing I really knew how to do was horses. Mm-hmm. But when you live, then I was living in the city and I did, couldn't drive. So I wasn't able to get to a place where I could do a job that I knew how to do. And there was no, what do you call it? Like um, work program. Employment standards. Like people could fire you for having a disability. Like that's not a thing anymore. Right. It, you know, there's there's government legislation and stuff that protects us, but that wasn't there back then. So I did try a few different jobs and wasn't able to do them and got fired and bullied badly by customers and employers alike. Holy cow, uh, by adult. By adult mm-hmm. now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's it was yeah, it, it people had no it was nasty. So then I decided I was going to, I thought I had to go back to high school because I had not done any kind of university entrance courses or anything. I had just, I'm, I'm getting my grade 12 and I'm getting out of here. But I actually was accepted into university based on my original work that I had done, which amazed everybody, especially myself. And then, so I went to university. Oh, how old was I? 20? And law, uh, on, a, on a government-sponsored um scholarship due to from the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. And because I was not overly emotionally and psychologically well, I failed. I failed a class and lost my funding. So that was the end of that for another 
I think I went back in 1992, so I would have been 27. And then I went back on my own. I didn't ask for funding. Wow, that's by then I was by then I was a single mother of a of a my daughter. Um, So I went to university as a disabled student and a single mother. Wow. Uh, and graduated as a student of, with a four-year honors degree as a student of distinction. So, wow. Um, that just, to go from, you know, a baby or a child that the doctor said would not amount to anything to graduating with distinction and now owning your own business that I know many would love, you know, just dream of having their own stables and all those amazing animals you get to take care of every day. What do you think, was there anything formative in any influence that made you so determined to like, just keep going as you have? The only thing and I, I don't know what this meant. My mother, who was, she and I had all kinds of issues. Um, but I, I remember her saying to me, you can do anything anybody else can do. You just have to try twice as hard, which I now know was, prob- was probably helpful to a degree, but in other ways was, was not helpful. Let's back up a minute. I remember you saying that through all of the bullying, you formed kind of a shell or a hardened exterior back in the day. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how you went into your adult life and eventually kind of let the walls down? But I know that took a long time. A lot of work. Um, Well, to start from present and go backwards, I'm not even 100% sure that the walls are down. They're still there sometimes. If somebody... If I even get a sniff that there's going to be anything that's maybe not what I want it to be, and they can come right back up again. Mm-hmm. And it, but I'm conscious. I'm aware of it now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I just really, when I was in school, when I was really young, I just receded back into myself and would really just fold in. And when I got into high school, it was, I used clothing, you know, black jeans, black jacket, black leather jacket black boots and I had an attitude that people scared people were scared of me mm-hmm. which I really honestly there was a part of me that why are you scared of me and then another part of me went thank you I'll take it <laughs> I mean I remember one girl she came up and she tried to pick a fight with me and I just looked at her and said don't make me have to hurt you and she left she just walked away it was like I had never I've never actually been in a physical altercation in my entire life because my mouth got, and my mouth and my brain would get me out of it. But <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just, I had, I had an attitude that was just like, you can't hurt me and I'm not going to let you yeah. anymore. This is enough and I'm done. Definitely not the healthiest. Yeah. So it's incredible to me that you were, you know, at, well into your adult years when you were finally diagnosed with this. It is a rare condition, did you say? the? It's a very rare condition. And the, my understanding, it's called acromatopsia. And my understanding of it is that the majority of people who have it are male. It's genetic. Both parents have to have the gene. And I have actually had my genetic testing done. For the first, the doctor that diagnosed me just said, you can get the genetics done, but 
you have it. Mm -hmm. And then I, a few years ago, I got the genetics done and I, I do in fact have it. So the fact that my older brother doesn't have it is actually the miracle here because it should have, should have been him, Mm -hmm. not me. But there's doctors up here had no, they had me diagnosed with four different symptoms, but nobody ever put it together as to, well, these four things mean that until I was 45 years old. So I know you really like kept looking and pushing to try and find something that could, I mean, sometimes labels help just to know that a little more about it, but also maybe a treatment plan or some way of dealing with it better. Have you found help now that you know what it is? Have things gotten any better? Oh, yeah. Dr. Richard Windsor is the doctor. He's in uh, Indianapolis and his daughter, Laura, is he, they have a practice together. They started working with people with this condition in like 1972. Mm -hmm. I found him in whatever it would have been, 2010, 2011. And when I got there, they gave me colored contact lenses, prescription Mm -hmm. colored contact lenses. My eyes are actually blue. I'm sure people have actually noticed they're kind of brown right now because I wear my sunglasses in my eyes because my condition is that I don't have any natural light filters and I have no color vision. And that's the two big ones. And then there's nystagmus and farsightedness as well. So Dr. Windsor has built this wonderful clinic in Indianapolis where that's completely designed for people with my condition and other challenges, other visual challenges, but he knows this is his, this is his passion. Acromatoxia is his passion. And he gave me these contact lenses and my sister actually came with me for my first my appointment. And I was fitted for the contacts on a Tuesday and they were shipped overnight from California and I got them on Thursday, but my memory serves my sister and they gave me the contacts. I put them in, they didn't have any prescription in them. And we went outside and I was standing, I could see across the highway, the parking lot, the all like it before everything would have been a blur, but I could actually count the cars parked in the parking lot. I could see all the different lanes of traffic and my sister was crying. I was crying. The lady that runs the Grand Clinic back then was crying. And I was literally, because I had no depth perception before. And I was standing on a curb and I was jumping down the curb and up the curb and down the curb and up the curb and going, look at me, look at me. I can do this thing. Oh <laughs> and, my all this and, my, and my sister, of course, being who she, she's like, because my eyes were open. I mean, this was me yeah. for 45 years. Like this was me. Wow. Head down, looking at the floor, eyes closed, hat on, sunglasses, often in a building. Wow. And, and we went from that to that. And then on the, okay, this is probably where I'm going to cry because I still cry. They told me when I got my contacts, they said, don't leave them in for more than two hours. I said, okay, good. Left the clinic, got on a plane and saw my children for the first time ever because they met me at the airport and I left these silly things in for like eight hours. And people used to say, your daughter has the most beautiful blue eyes. meant nothing to me until that day that I walked in and I saw them and my son and I'll tell you what it was something it was something wow excuse me holy 
<laughs> wow, that's incredible. It was. And just because this is Dr. Windsor, he's actually still practicing. I mean, he's got to be 70, 80 years old. Wonderful man. And he just said like this off the cuff thing. We're sitting in this room. He's doing my eye test in the dark. And he said, you know what? You're a perfect candidate for our driving program. <gasps> what? So now I have a driver's license. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't use it very much because we live in a place that's pretty not safe for driving. Wow. Yeah, I, hold a, I hold a driver's license. So it's, yeah, that was a huge, 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 huge. Yeah. So. You still know you have a disability, but my goodness, what progress. And kudos to you for just not giving up all of those years, like looking for a diagnosis and look what happened. Finally, it, it's just amazing. And there was a lot of, a lot of pressure from different areas to just accept it. You need to just accept it. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to accept this. Yeah. Uh, so inspiring to hear how your world has opened up though, from being open to possibilities and you know, what's seeking out a diagnosis and I don't know if you'd call it treatment, but what they've mm -hmm. done for you. <laughs> yeah. What I do you do? It's more adaptive and technical aids that yeah. they've provided. Incredible. So how else was this able to change life for you or do you have a different perspective now on anything? I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's still wanting to just keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. I'm not a person who is happy to just sit in one place. I always want, I always want to keep moving and learn something more and change something and mm -hmm. be doing something. Which is, yeah, clearly how you've been all along. So that hasn't changed, but it's certainly done, been a good way of progressing for you to get you where you are now. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that's changed is the way I look at the outside versus the inside. You know, I was always looking outside of me for something, for an answer, for a change, for something. But now I look, I tend to look more in, internally for my answers. And I'm learning how to trust my judgment, which I never did. I don't think, and this is just my opinion, that anybody that's been through what I've been through, you're not going to trust yourself. You know, you can't take the kind of external and internal abuse that, that I've survived through the years and actually <laughs> trust myself. Yeah. So, you know, that was a, a huge shift for me when I realized that that was even a possibility. And it's not perfect yet. I still have days where it's like, does anybody else know what I should do? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? I, <laughs> I think a lot of us are guilty of that, at least sometimes. But looking yeah. outside versus inside for the answers. But good for you. That actually right there is some wisdom we can all take home from this. The answers are inside, not outside. So, and then you don't have any excuse for not seeing them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just have I, to yeah. dig deeper. You just have to dig deeper. There's no excuse for not being able to see them because they're not out there. They're in here. They're in there. And then to actually put one foot in front of the other and implement what I know to be my truth. Mm-hmm. You know, that takes some courage. Yeah. 
Yeah. I did a program and that was a couple of years ago or a year, year and a half ago. And that was my word was, was courage. And it made a huge difference. One of the coaches said, pick a word and I picked courage. And mm-hmm. I've learned so much about trusting myself and being able to step out and, and do the things that, that I want to do. Yeah. That's really empowering and life-changing, isn't it? When you like cross that line to more trust and belief in yourself, ability to take action. It's empowering. It is hugely empowering. You know, even being giving yourself permission to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I've had for a long time is I don't mind being wrong. I taught my kids that. My kids would say, mom, what's the answer? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know everything. I'm wrong all the time, but to actually put that into two big things, like the things that I've done in the last year that Mm -hmm. I've actually put myself out and put and taken some pretty serious risks Mm -hmm. and and gone, you know what? I'm not going to die. If this doesn't work, I'm not going to die. So what? Just do it. Um, Look at the benefits if it does work. Huge. Yeah huge benefits for the last year and a half. It's amazing. Incredible. I know. I've seen you stepping out and doing some big things. It's really inspiring. Well, this morning when I went out and had to deal with a foot and a half of snow and a bunch of horses that were less than happy with me and didn't want to behave. And I got a little frustrated and I actually went into my brand new indoor riding arena with the wonderful stuff that's all in it and, and took a walk around and went, you know what? Just center yourself. Nobody ever said it was going to be, every day was going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. But it means, you know, this is where you are and this is where you want it to be. Mm -hmm. Now go reassess and, where are you going to go? Where are you going to be tomorrow? Yeah. Let's enjoy today. Celebrate today. Where are we going to be tomorrow? Yeah, so. that's right. But look at where you are today. That's great. Yeah. Well, Victoria, this has been so awesome. So nice to get to know you better and help share your story with people that will be able to be inspired and benefit from it. I think that persistence and not giving up is one of the really big undercurrents I heard, you know, learning to believe in yourself. And before that, you borrow it from other people. I think you might have told me in another discussion about your grandfather or grandparents and how they believed in you and kind of encouraged you to ride horses when nobody thought you could. And it's just, it's incredible. Yeah, he was uh, my grandfather. He was a huge, 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 huge force in my in my life, for sure. So, telling me I could do things that everybody said I couldn't do. <laughs> so you borrow the belief from somebody else until you have it in yourself. It's just, yeah, it's good. It's a good way to go. It is. I never thought of it that way before. Um, I like that. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time and thanks everyone for tuning in today. I hope you make it a great day. If you're like most women, you have a big dream on your heart and really want to make a positive impact in the lives of others. But self-doubt, fear, or other limiting beliefs often get in your way. 
What many women don't realize is that the one thing that can catapult them forward is deepening their self-love and self-esteem. So I have a free ebook for you that's really going to help you in this area. It's called 30 Days to Deepen Self-Love, and you can download it at the link in our show notes. Enjoy.